Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We are going through the book of John, okay, our normal opening transitional statements, right? And we have been considering the fact of Jesus being the Son of God who came into the world um, in order to become the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. But we have transitioned now into chapter 13 and beyond, where Jesus is, um, and I thought that was really good, Justin, sharing the, the peas. I love peas. I don't know why peas just click with me, but anyways, they're all there. And, um, but how Jesus is spending some intimate moments with his disciples. He has been having a public ministry for the first 12 chapters. We've seen him reveal himself um, both in his actions, his works, and in his words as God, as Yahweh in the flesh. And that's going to come back again a little bit today. And, um, but Jesus, his initial step with this intimacy with his disciples, at least that we read about from John's perspective, is this um, pride or humbling of his pride, um, revealing himself as this servant leader who is there to meet the needs of his disciples. And this is going to be huge because he's coming into the end where he's, going to, he's, he's getting ready to die. And, um, and his disciples are still struggling with trying to figure out what all this means to them. And so um, Jesus, again, takes off his outer garment. He takes the, the, the towel of that door servant, and he washes their feet. And again, as we come to Peter, Peter says, you know, what are you doing to me? I'm washing your feet. No, Lord, you can't wash my feet. He's just missing it, you know, and at least from Peter's perspective. And then the other disciples begin to at least verbalize during this time. And we begin to see a lot of their confusion, a lot of their doubts, a lot of their um, not getting what's going on. But Peter verbalizes it. You know, he's like, no, you, you can't wash my feet. Well, no, Lord, you know, G- Peter, if I don't wash your feet, I don't, you have no part of me. Well, you missed it, Lord. I, I meant wash all of me. Well, that's not what he meant. You know that. And, and he's talking like we talk sometimes when we're, we're kind of caught in the middle of our ignorance, you know, and we just start speaking out of ignorance. And so Jesus says, no, 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 no. Look, if, Peter, if you're clean, all you need me to do is to wash your feet. And then he makes the comment, but not all of you are clean because he's referring to Judas, which is really an amazing thing to me as well, that he's there washing the feet even of the one, not only who's going to deny him, Peter, not only of those who are going to desert him, the rest of his disciples, but the one who's literally going to betray him, the one in whom Satan is already being entered into. And Jesus is still washing his feet. And that's a, a real struggle, a real for me, as it comes to, you know, it's easy to serve those who are lovable. It's easy to serve those who will serve you back. It's easy to serve those who are appreciative of everything you're doing. But Jesus didn't just serve them. He served everyone. In fact, again, as we've told, we're told that um, God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And he's going to be revealing that to them. And so um, then we, we considered um, last week this 
first step going into to John 14, where Jesus is starting to show them some of the promises, some of the, um, the benefits, if you would, of him actually leaving them. And again, which is kind of an opposite kind of perspective. You know, we, um, when we lose someone dear to us, um, it's, it's a hard situation because we're going to miss that fellowship that we had with them. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be with Jesus, hanging out with Jesus for two and a half, three years. You know, I mean, again, we, we don't have even a, a bit of, of what that, that their times together would have been like. And yet they come to this point where Jesus says to them, look, it's beneficial for you for me to leave. I don't get that. How does that play out? He said, well, here's the first step, right? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house, there's many dwelling places, many Monet. Okay, and we're going to come back to Monet later. There's many Monet, many, many permanent places of residence. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I, w- I would have told you. But it's true. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to personally receive you unto myself. How cool is that? That where I am, there you may be also. That Jesus wants us to be able to spend all of eternity with him in his presence. And he is literally, as we talked about that, preparing the place for us. And as we saw from Peter, that it's a reservation. It's literally the word terao. It's being guarded, not just reserved, but it's being guarded in heaven for me, that when I gave him my life, he took it, and he's guarding it. Even though I do a bad job on my end sometimes, he isn't. He who began the good work in me is continuing to perform it to the day of Christ. It is him who was working in me, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. He is doing the work in me. There's nothing. And so Jesus said earlier in John 10, when he's talking about the good shepherd, he says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. No one can snatch you out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. And people like to say, well, what if I jump out? Nobody else can take, but what if I jump out? You can't. This is something that's being what? Guarded, reserved for you in heaven. It is what? It's an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. It's not up to you anymore. Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, now it's in his faithfulness, not yours. When you are faithless, he remains faithful. If God is lying here, then you can't trust him in anything. Do you get that? This is huge to me. I mean, Jesus made me a promise. He's going to prepare a place for Bob. Now, I hope he's preparing a place for you, but that's between you and him. But I know he's preparing a place for me. And when it's ready, it's my time. My heart grieves for the Robinson family grieves 
for those who don't know that was someone who was involved in Anopian, they adopted many children to glorify God. And if they talked him into going against his God, his running would be done. That's got to be our lives. That we love Christ so much that we're wanting to eat up his word. We're wanting to know what his will is. We're wanting to know what we're supposed to ask in his name. That we're feasting on his truth. Desiring to spend time in his presence. And Jesus then makes this promise. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then he says, And I will ask the Father to give you a special gift. He starts off with this. But it gets better. With the Holy Spirit. He's going to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's through the intercession of the Son... This is kind of exciting. The Son's going to beseech the Father to give us the Holy Spirit. There is then, again, in the triunity of God, this hierarchical structure where you have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit. The Father sent the Son, but then the Son is the one who beseeches the Father to send the Holy Spirit. Do you see how that plays out? Okay. Then you have... The ignorance of the world. Well, how does that play out? Well, as we're doing our memory verse, right? We read, whom the world cannot what? Receive. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit, but the world can't receive the Holy Spirit. They say, why? Because it neither, what? Neither sees him nor knows him. It has no experiential knowledge of the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He says, this isn't a marvel. You, you, see, you don't see the wind, but you see where it goes. But you don't understand the concept of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what the concept of the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is working in all times. But you don't see Him. Because you're not expecting Him. You don't believe in Him. Think about that one. We're believers. And we believe, we're going to see in a moment, that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We believe that we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We say that. But do we really believe that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us and performing a marvelous work in us? Do we look for the ministry of the Holy Spirit around us? Or are we like the world? Walking about in ignorance, who neither sees him nor knows him. Do you know the Holy Spirit? His interaction with the believer, first of all, is he's going to indwell you. He's going to indwell you. Right now, if you've asked Jesus into your life, God, the Holy Spirit, we're starting here. God, the Holy Spirit, is dwelling inside of you. Do you have any kind of fellowship with Him? Not it, Him. There's got to be a conversation going on. 
Peter, when Ananias and Sapphira took just a little bit from their offering to the Lord, I don't know what it was, but Acts chapter 5, he says, you didn't just lie to me, you lied to who? To God, but not just God, to the Holy Spirit. There is a personal relationship that's going on in there. Do you believe it's the Holy Spirit who is dwelling inside of you, who isn't just a force from God, but who is an actual person of God? If you think it's mind-boggling, I do, that God came and he incarnated on the earth and that there is this though Jesus and the Father are one, that the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father, and this is an amazing thing, and we can't parse it out, the same terminologies are being used here about the Holy Spirit. We're starting with the Holy Spirit. Dwelling inside you. This is an amazing thing. And I, I, I know I'm maybe kicking the dead horse here, but it's not dead. And he's not a horse. You get it? You got God, the Holy Spirit, living inside of you to empower you to do things that you couldn't do otherwise. And why do we trust in our own abilities? We trust in our own powers. We're not willing to reach out to do things that only God could do. So Ephesians tells us we have the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the what? The guarantee of our inheritance. It goes back to that, that, that reservation, that, that guarded reservation in heaven. Only if you could take the Holy Spirit from you can you get rid of it. God's not going to do it. He's guaranteed it. What kind of a guarantee if he takes away the Holy Spirit? He will dwell us. Secondly, we're told in verse 26 then, he's going to teach us. He's going he's to teach us. That when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, verse 26, the helper, the, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you how many things? All things. Do you believe that? Maybe I'm naive, but I believe he means it. And so when God raised up for me that, that home improvement business, which wasn't clearly anything that Bob ever learned to do growing up. I was a computer guy. I grew up in a city. We didn't do home improvements. I worked on computers. But God decided to build a home improvement business through me. I never started it. I, I think most of you heard that story. But I never started it. I had a real estate lady call me out of the blue and ask if I could do clean-outs and then just start growing and growing and growing and growing and, and, and had other people call me and say, well, I think you can do this. And, and just an amazing thing. And I distinctly remember so many times being in, in a, a bathroom remodel or a kitchen remodel or whatever it was, just praying for God to give, illumine my mind to give me knowledge to teach me things that I didn't know. I had no clue what I was doing. Aren't you excited you didn't hire me? And I still remember the vision of a, of a turnbuckle. I didn't know what a turnbuckle was. I just know I needed something to be able to attach this this awning thing to the to to the 
to the building somehow. I needed to support it. And I'm praying. And Lord, I don't know what. I mean, people have hired me and you gave me this job. And I'm, I don't want you to be blasting because of my ignorance and my stupidity and all this kind of stuff. But you know, you're the creator. You are the master craftsman. You know all these things. And he gave me a vision of a, a rectangular thing that was going to turn, that was going to have cables coming off the end of it. I had no idea what it was. I went to Lowe's. And, and, and bless his heart, you can still talk to Kenny. He still works there. And, and walking down the aisle, and can I help you? I hope so. What do you need? I don't know. But let me tell you the vision that I had. He's a believer. We have great fellowship with one another. And so I told him my vision. That gets a lot, a lot of um, uh, people in our stripes nervous, okay? Because Bob's talking about visions. Because we're not supposed to have visions. You know, that, st- that stuff stopped. God, we don't, God doesn't do that kind of stuff for us. And so he says, you mean a turnbuckle? I says, I haven't got a clue. Show me what one is. We went down to the turnbuckle aisle, and there they were. Yes, that's exactly what I've seen. He says, what do you want? Which, which, which type you need? I said, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> I mean, there was a whole bucket loads of t- different turnbuckles. But God led me. Do you get it? That's just a, a stupid little illustration, maybe. But for me, it's huge. I could tell you numerous of those times when it was not my area. No, this isn't a spiritual moment. Yes, it was. My faith was growing massively. And I grew the faith of a guy in Lowe's who I got to talk to about it. And even the, the owner of the establishment who I was doing the work for. Because I just kept giving testimony after testimony of what God was doing um, through him. You know, and in, 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 uh, allowing me to learn things and, and to having it done right. And, but do you believe... That the Holy Spirit can teach you all things. Do you believe it? That's where it starts. You have to believe. If you don't believe, you'll never ask. You'll never receive. I prayed years ago, God, if you put it in my pl- on, on my plate, I'll do it. I'll do it. This isn't my cup of tea. Again, I'm a programmer. I'm not a public speaker. Now, after 30-something years, you sort of get used to doing things a little bit. But I promise you that I still get nervous. This is not what I wake up in the morning thinking, whew, this is it. I love teaching, but I don't love public presentations. And I'm feeling sick. Not I'm, I'm seven days, eight days without the fever. But my body's drained right now. And so there have been different times people say, do you want to? No, because I know, I know by faith that God's going to give me the strength to teach his word. This is what he's called me to do. And he will provide me the opportunity. He will give me the words to speak and he will give me the strength to do it. I'm not trying to pop myself up here. Other than, this is exciting passage to me. Because in my ignorance, I took this for truth. And I've watched him prove it to me over and over and over again. Now, I have done, in my mind, greater works than Christ. Because he's God. I'm not. And yet he has worked through me to be a master craftsman in times when I am not anywhere close to being that individual.
Do you get it? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. By the power of the Father that is at your disposal in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you. You just have to believe. He's not going to just teach us, but he's going to remind us then of the teachings of Jesus. Note the critical term here, though. He's going to what? He's going to remind. Remind. Which means what? You got to learn it first. You got to read it. You got to mind it first. That's exactly it. In order to be reminded, you got to mind it. That's exactly I love it. Thank you. That's exactly You got to put your mind on it. I mean, it's not I'm going to sleep on my pillow and hope that I get this, this learning by osmosis moment. It doesn't happen. If you're not reading his word, Jesus said, John 8, right? To those Jews who believed in him. If you are my disciples, you will what? Abide in my word. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I mean, they're promises. But you have not, because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss. Why? Because you're asking about yourself. Why? Because you don't know what God's desire for you is. You don't know what his will is. Why? Because you're not reading his word. If you proclaim to be a follower of Jesus then you ought to want to know what he teaches. Who's Saul Lunsky? Who's Saul Lunsky? Anybody know Saul Lunsky? Good. Uh, rules, for radicals. rules for radicals. What's important about Saul Lunsky? Who was he, Andrew? Uh, he was wait, wait, I'll tell you what. We, we have the mic. Sorry, Mark. Good, Andrew. Who's Saul, Saul Lunsky? He was a very influential uh, left-wing activist, uh, and uh, he influenced uh, many different politicians like Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Good job. He's exactly right. You don't know it, but Saul Alinsky's had a massive effect upon our country. Do you know where, anything about Saul Alinsky himself? Where, where, where did he reside a long time? Chicago. Ch- Chicago. But he was also in jail, I think, for a period of time. And um, a lot of his writings came while he was in prison. And um, those, though, think about this. The Hillary Clintons, the Barack Obamas, they have read all of his writings. They are disciples of Saul Alinsky. Now, I'm not picking on them. It's just a fact. And what we have seen come in our country over the past couple decades is a direct result of the disciples of Saul Alinsky living out the teachings of their master. You tracking with me? What effect has the teachings of Jesus had? Maybe it's because those who proclaim to be believers never read his word. They never meditate on him. They never think about them. They give them lip service. And they spend more time reading the USA Today or the Washington Post. Or social media. Than they do spending time in his word. Could you imagine what it would be like 
if we spent more time in the presence and word of God than we did in the world. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know it's not purely realistic. But it is realistic to set aside time. I praise the Lord for Jimmy, and I'm not spouting on Jimmy. But Jimmy spends two hours. He, may, he, he shared, and I praise the Lord for his sharing, for being honest about his struggles and about the, the sanctification that God is doing in his life. He spends two hours every morning in the Word. Two hours. And I don't know if you've noticed over, the, and so Jimmy, don't get a big head if you're still on. But I don't know if you noticed over the last couple of years how much more Scripture starts spouting out of his mouth. Because he's reading it. A couple hours every day. And I don't know if he's still doing it, but he was listening at least for an hour then on, on CD. That's pretty good washing of the water by the word going on. And when that happens, God does convict. And he's willing to admit it. His failures. Pray for him. Pray for one another. That we would have a desire, a burning desire to be fully set apart for the master's use. He's given us great promises, great promises, greater works, answered prayer, the presence of the Holy Spirit, but it gets better than this. The presence of the Son and the Father. Do you get this? The presence of the Son and the Father. Verse 18. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also at that day. You will know that I am in the father. Listen to what he says. This is the same thing he said earlier that day. You're going to know that I am in the father and you are in me and I am in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas then says, well, how can that be? And Jesus answers, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words, he'll obey my commandments, and my father will love him. And we, my father and I, will come to him and make our monet with him. We look for our Monet in heaven. Figure this one out. Think about it. Meditate on it. Struggle with it. But Jesus has said, if you keep his commandments, if you love him, if you believe, then he and the Father, not just the Holy Spirit, but the whole Trinity is going to come and take up a dwelling in you. They're going to set up their Monet, that permanent dwelling place. You come evict God. I don't think it happens very well, does it? Talking about the, knowing that you have it and you cannot lose it. They're going to come and they're going to set up their Monet in you if you keep. So you have the mystery of his presence, how it's going to happen, then the manifestation. It says the expression of the believer's love. Note, if anyone loves me, our Monet will be with him. Do you love him? Do you really love him? I gotta fly. Uh, Paul says, "I've been crucified with Christ; therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. But it's no longer I live, but Christ who what? 
He lives in me. Do you believe it? Do you really honestly, 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 not just intellectually, do you honestly believe that God is drawing inside of you? Then the promise of his peace. In the end here, Jesus promises them the peace. And note, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. The world seeks to change your circumstances. Think about it. If you go to a counselor and you're looking for peace, you're looking for less anxiety, what are they going to want to do? They're going to want to change your circumstances. They're going to go on a vacation, get away from it all for a period of time. Or get a divorce. Get rid of the guy who's causing you anxiety. Get rid of the woman who's causing you anxiety. Get rid of the family who's causing you anxiety. Whatever it is. They're going to, they may give you pills or whatever, but normally it's going to be the first, first level is change your circumstances. Change your circumstances and you'll find peace. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace in the midst of your circumstances. In the midst of trial and tribulation, in the midst of distress and disease, my peace, my joy can be with you. I'm not going to give peace like the world gives peace. My peace is going to transcend. And so he says in John 16, verse 33, um, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have what? I've overcome the world. So what's the, what's the core? What's the, what's the understanding of peace here? What happens? How do you get peace? When you know Jesus has what? overcome the world and he's living inside of you in order to give you the strength, the ability, the greater works to overcome whatever the world can throw at you. First Corinthians chapter 10, there is no tribulation, no troublesome situation that can, that is overtaking you, but such as what common to man. And God is faithful. Do you believe that God is faithful? Do you believe it? God is faithful in that he will not allow you to be troubled beyond what you're able to bear. Do you believe it? This is, again, going back. Believest thou this? Do you believe it? God has made all these promises. Do we really, honestly, 100% believe it? The dependence of his peace. Marcia didn't like the term dependence here. I liked it, so I kept it. There is a dependence for us in order to discover the peace. I don't think we can discover it because having his peace is dependent upon living in his presence and having access to his power. And so if you're not living in his presence, you don't believe he's living inside of you. You don't believe you have the power of God residing in you to be accessed at any moment. If you don't believe those things, then hang up the peace. Because you're trying to do it How? In your own strength. And if you're trying to get peace in your own strength, then you're going to do it like the world does it. Jesus says, the peace I give you, it's not like the world does. God is residing inside of me. And I am able to withstand trials and tribulations, distresses and disease in a manner that the world doesn't understand. Again, I shared this numerous years ago. Um, 
someone gave me um, <clears throat> Christopher Reeve's book. Um, it was an autobiography, and he read it. So I, I do my best reading when it's audiobooks. Anyways, and so he was reading his own book. I couldn't, couldn't even listen to the second cassette. tells you how long ago that I, I got this audiobook. Yeah, yeah, cassette. I couldn't even listen to the second cassette because his mouth was so foul and just awful. But this is his own testimony. Christopher Reeves, you know, Superman, right? Does anybody know um, Christopher Reeves? He had a what? He had a neck injury from a what? Good, horse fall, okay? He was in the hospital, and in the ward with him was another woman who had the exact same injury, exact same vertebrae or whatever you want to call those things were, ex- were injured, exact, happened the exact same way, thrown over the, the, the neck of the horse, Everything was exactly the same. This is his testimony. The only thing different between the two of them was that she was a believer. And there were people praying for her. She was fully healed. He never was. She believes it was because of the power of prayer. But he cursed God. Do you get it? If you don't believe in it, it's not there for you. He, he had no peace. He had no power. There was no presence. But in the midst of her trial, according to his testimony, she had a peace. And there were people praying who were trusting in the powerful presence of God. Now, did God have to answer? He didn't have to answer. I can tell you one solid reason why I believe God answered the prayer of those saints in that day to heal this woman of, of her infirmity. Do you know what it was? <laughs> to witness to him and through him to witness to countless others. Think about it. Christ was being preached by an unbeliever. Telling everybody about a miracle that he can't deny, but he wants to. Because he refuses to submit to the God of the miracle. Do you get it? Do you believe? Oh, do you believe? I loved it with Esther Mui's version of that at the end. Do you believe this? Do you believe? Do you believe this? Do you believe? It just resounds in me over and over again. Do I really believe? I mean, I know I believe. And yet, Lord, help me in my unbelief. There are so many times I say I believe, and yet I don't. I still sell God short. Do you realize you literally could say to the mountain, be moved and cast into the sea, if that's what he wanted you to do. If that's what he really wanted you to do. At this very moment, the walls could shake with the power of the Holy Spirit. This week is our week of prayer. And fasting. Does it matter? When you go into it, do you even think about it? What God wants to accomplish in my life, in your life, in the life of our assembly, through our assembly in this neighborhood and in your neighborhoods, I believe, I firmly believe that God placed us in this neighborhood for a reason. That's why I knock on doors. Not because I like meeting people. I'm an introvert. But I believe God put us here 
for a reason. That's why we go across the street for the Good News Club. Because I believe God wants to do something through us that is bigger than us. Do you believe this? Do you believe God's got something bigger than you just wallowing through life till you die? Have you committed your life to Christ? That's the first step. If you haven't, none of what, I'm, what I spoke today even makes sense to you. In fact, you probably think I'm a little weird. Does your life reveal a love for him through your desire for and obedience to his word? Where do you turn in the midst of your trials and distresses? And finally, then, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I am so overwhelmed when I think of the promises that you have given to me. That you, who created the heavens and the earth, you who are beyond time, space, and matter, dwell within me. You are looking forward to doing wonderful works through me. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Help me to be willing and desiring to be used of you. To do things that are way beyond what I ever can imagine. I thank you for how you have used me, Lord. I thank you for how you've used us as an assembly. But God, I know that there are greater works that you have for us. And I pray, Lord, that you will empower us. That we will be empowered with belief. We will be empowered with strength. And Lord, that you would give us vision whether it comes through one of the elders or someone in the assembly, Lord, that you would bring us a vision of how you want us to continue to work in this community for your glory. And by faith, we would walk forth and we would see your glory in a way that we wouldn't have seen it if we hadn't stepped forth by faith. Thank you, Lord, for your promises. Help us to live in your peace for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.